This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? Hey, I want to welcome you. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time checking this place out, this is my wonderful wife, Kristen, who already introduced herself, but can you guys welcome her this morning, too? Thank you. Because this is not normal for us. This is not normally how we roll. Things are going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But what you just saw was the promo for the series that starts next week called Four Cups. It's based on a book by Chris Hodges which is ultimately based on on God's word, but it's about the four cups of the Jewish Passover, uh, of the, the Seder. And it's really this journey that God wants to take every single person in this room on. And it's kind of outlined uh, in this process through these four cups. It's gonna lead us into Good Friday, which I'm super excited about. And then also, of course, Easter uh, that same weekend. So don't miss that. That's gonna start next week. And however, today, um, we're wrapping up this series called Relationship Uncensored with the questions that you asked. And you guys asked some good questions. Some pretty like, you didn't hold back. <laughs> so we're not gonna hold back, all right? So I want you to keep that in mind right now. If you have little ones in this room, this is going to be PG-13. And so we're gonna talk about the stuff that you guys wanna talk about. So now is a great opportunity, no shame. Uh, if you wanna take your kids over to our Elevate Kids area where they can worship, where they can uh, learn about Jesus on their level, this would be a great time to do it uh, while you guys are doing that, if, if you feel so inclined. If not, we told you so, right? right? We warned you. Um, let me give you some ground rules, though, for today. Uh, when we went through your questions, here's how we're going to answer them and respond to them. Where God's word speaks clearly, that's what we're going to use. We're not going to waver from that. We're going to stand solely on his word. Where his word doesn't specifically address you know, your situation, we're going to apply biblical principles to that question. Now, where um, it doesn't address it and there's no biblical principle that we can apply, we're just going to give you really our heartfelt opinion. And you don't have to agree with it. You, you have a right to be wrong. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But that's pretty much how, how we're going to roll, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And let's just say up front that we read through every single one yeah. of these questions. And to be honest, our heart just really broke with a lot of the things that you're going through. And so we, we realize that there is some pain there yeah. that's involved, yeah. and we don't want to minimize that at all. Um, but we might not be able to get to every single one of those questions. But just know that our you know, we hurt with you, and that we're committed to, to praying for you through those situations. Yeah, it, it really did. Our hearts broke, and we prayed for you. In fact, um, I want to open this up by doing that right now and uh, just kind of giving our, our God really space to work in our hearts and lives. If you just pray with me, God, um, man, we pray over all the hurt uh, and the pain that's associated with relationships, and I just ask right now that you would... Um, speak directly to our hearts, maybe through uh, the questions that we answer, but maybe it's just your spirit moving as well. I pray that we would keep uh, just an open heart and open mind, God, to all that you have for us um, and, and allow us to just kind of come before you, just fully exposed into all that you want to do. We love you. We just give you this time. We just set it apart uh, to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, I want you to know, too, that we don't have all the answers um, either. Uh, we've been married for, this summer will be 20 years, which is awesome. We made it 20 That's years. Awesome. 20 years. Kristen is still super into me. Like, she can't keep her hands off of me I've been um, from the first time we met, really. Yeah, I've been into you since that very first time you kissed me, baby. That's true. That's true. And I think I'd like to tell that story. Well, go for it. <laughs> we got a little bit of time. Go for it. 
I'll make it really quick. You just need to know how smooth your pastor is. Okay, so... <laughs> We'd been dating for a little bit. We were on um, our college campus, and we had actually just been on a date, and we were walking across the soccer field, and it was late at night, and yeah, we, sure. we stopped walking, and we were just standing there, and you, like you were talking about last week, you know, when you're in that dating phase, you can talk and talk and talk. So wow. we were on this soccer field, gazing into each other's eyes, talking, and he just keeps getting closer and closer when we're talking, and I brought some assistance. Put that on. He had this hat on his head, right? And he keeps getting closer and closer. And then (laughs) all of a sudden, before I knew it, he was doing this. Do the thing. (laughs) And I just look at him and go, what are you doing? (laughs) And he said. It gets in the way sometimes. (laughs) What's up? Uh Uh-huh. And then he went in. Yeah. You've been smooth ever since, baby. That's right. That's right. Listen, what can I say? <laughs> um, so knowing that we don't have the experience really to handle every single question, what I did was this last week, I sat down with a couple of professional counselors and we went through question by question, really the ones that you guys submitted. So not only do you get to draw on, on our experience, but also on their expertise yeah. as well. And so we're going we're gonna to roll that way. Um, and maybe should we just kind of launch in? Do we want to go big right from the start? We want to warm people up. What do we want to do? Let's warm them up. All right. All right. Ready? We'll take it easy. <laughs> but no, it's going to get there. So I'm still giving we'll start, you some time. We'll start slow. Right. Okay. The first question is this. What do I do if my husband is an unbeliever? Hmm. He's good to me and our kids, but he doesn't come to church with us, and I really want to walk in Christ together. This was by far the most asked question that we received from, from people, different scenarios. Hey, my, my boyfriend is an unbeliever. My, my baby daddy is an unbeliever, you know, and we have kids together. What do I, I do? Um, and I like what, the way one person asked, they said, I'm a devout follower of Jesus, and I never considered divorcing my husband I have, however, considered murder many times. <laughs> I thought that was honest. I appreciate that. Um, we've talked a little bit about this in this series, and let me just say this is complex. Uh, this can be a very painful situation to be in. Uh, I've talked to people so many different times that knew they were going into a relationship with an unbeliever, but because of that infatuation period, you know, they were blinded, you know, by some things, and so they just jumped right in, and they had no idea how heartbroken they would be. Some of you are in that situation today. Some of you got up this morning on your own without your spouse because they don't believe, they don't come to church with you, got your kids ready without them to show up, and you really had no idea how difficult this would would be. So a word of warning to those of you that are considering um, laying aside, compromising your beliefs in God, considering marrying or being yoked to an, a, a non-believer, here's, here's some, some advice. Listen yeah, up. so there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 6.14, and it says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And so a yoke was just a, to- a wooden tool that was used to pair up two animals, maybe two oxen, um, as they plow a field together. But you know what? When you've got two oxen and one maybe is stronger than the other or one is healthier than the other, then instead of plowing a straight line, so instead of you and your spouse both walking with your feet on the firm foundation that you can only find in Jesus then that stronger oxen, that healthier oxen, what's going to happen is that pair, they're just going to start walking in circles. And so Paul here in this verse, not out of condemnation, but out of love for the people that he was leading, he's giving them this warning. If you don't want to end up walking in circles your entire life, then you make sure that you are yoked to, that you get married to someone just like you that has your feet on that firm foundation of Jesus. And some of you are experiencing this. I mean, that's so good. It's just that picture of you're just going in circles, circle, circle, circle. In fact, if that's you, I could give you dozens of email addresses of people who have been there that would beg you, like, don't do it. It's just, it's just not, not worth it. So because this is complex, uh, we want to give you, and not just that scripture, but what some other scriptures say uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. I want to let God's word speak for itself. 
Again, there are many different layers here, but some of you have maybe never read this. Maybe you've never heard this. This is what, what Paul says now. I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue to live with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. The believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they are, verse 15 says, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband uh, or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace, to live in peace. Do you not, uh, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? Don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? Maybe you've never seen that before, and it's difficult, and I'm easier said than done. I understand that. There are many different layers to this. Here's a book. Uh, if this is you, that I would recommend, it's, it's Lee Strobel's Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch. Write that down. Just jot that down. Take a look at it. It talks a lot about this being unequally yoked. Yeah, and I would just add to this answer, just by giving you hope, you that person out there that is a Christ follower, that God has given you, he's given you the ability to shine the love mm-hmm. of Jesus to your spouse, because in his word, it tells us yeah. in 1 Peter 3, it says, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over. And so I just want to tell you this morning that you can stand in full mm. confidence on that word of God, and you can speak that scripture over your marriage. Right. And let me just offer one more perspective on this, because we don't hear this very often, but this goes both ways, just so you know. Like, it's, it's uh, not only is it cruel to you to be, you know, unequally teamed up with an unbeliever, but it's also cruel to them. In fact, if they were here today, if your unbelieving spouse, unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend was here today, I would tell them, don't you date a Christian person because they're, gonna, they're trying to trick you. They don't like you the way you are. They want to change you. They want to get you to the altar. They want you to say, I do. And then they're going to pull the bait and switch on you, right? So if you're like dating someone who's a Christian and they're sleeping with you, they're compromising their beliefs and values, they are a hypocrite and you should flee, all right? You should run <laughs> for the hills. I'm just saying, if you're an unchristian, you're dating a Christian, like, like, don't do it. It's going to cause difficulty that way as well. Go find yourself um, uh, uh, an honest unbeliever to date. There you go. All right. Just a different perspective. Yes, so. nice. All right. Our next question says, how can I get my daughter to understand that she's known by the company that she keeps? Yeah. I heard a guy say that, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's so true. You don't understand early on um, how much your character counts how much your integrity really matters. In the Song of Songs, the very first chapter, the woman talking about Solomon says, your name, man, your name is, is awesome. When she's talking about his character, talking about uh, his integrity as a person, Proverbs has a lot to say uh, about choosing the right people to do life with. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. You got to really watch the, the company that you keep. Good. And another part to the same question, they asked, is it okay to look on a child's social media accounts um, and their cell phone? Some of you are dealing with this now. Yes, like, like us. In the throes, yeah. Right? <laughs> so there, there's a couple things that we say to our kids that absolutely drive them crazy. One of them is our house, our rules, when they try to argue something our with house, us. Our house, our rules. What's up? <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the the Ten Commandments, there's only one command that God, um, he attached a blessing to it. So you've got do not steal, um, uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, do not commit adultery. But then the Bible says honor and Honor your father and mother so that you will live a long and full life. And so in our house, it's our house our rules. And I think Colby and I would both recommend that you stay intimately involved in your child's electronic world. We just went through this with a cell phone. Yes. Yeah. We we got almost a teenager in the house now. And so this stuff is creeping up on us and you know, we've never dealt with this. And so we really didn't 
know what to do. So we sought some godly wisdom from some people who have gone before, before us. And what we settled on is we purchased our son a cell phone. We purchased it. We pay for it. So it's not his. That belongs to us. Yeah. So when you get into the, uh-uh, you can't see that. That's my phone. No. No, it's not. It's our phone. And what happens, what we decided to do was he rents that cell phone from us. So basically he gets to use it. He pays like $10 a month for the right to rent it from us. And we had him sign a contract. Um, And the first part on that cell phone contract is that he's going to continue to grow in his faith with Jesus. And then we put a couple things on there because we want to be able to quantify that, right? So he has to serve on the weekends in his church, he has to, um, we, we're friends on a version app, and so we keep up with his Bible reading. He has to keep reading the Bible, growing that way. Um, he's in a group, a student group, and then when he does have a job or makes a little bit of money, he ties. And he has to honor his father and mother, and we threw in, and be kind to your brothers. Kind of the hardest part of the whole contract. <laughs> but the cool thing about it really is, I, mean, I see him on his phone all the time, looking at his U version. Yeah. And he might do it because you know it's part of the deal, whatever. But eventually, that's going to become part of his life. Yes. And part of his, you know, habits. And so he's on there, and I just, I love seeing that happen. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, the follow-up question to this too is, what do I do when my daughter or son they pit my husband mm. and I against each other? Yeah. Quickly, if we could just cover this and move on, um, I'd say if you guys are united together uh, and have a united front, it's really hard for a child to come in and kind of divide and conquer. Like, make sure you're on the same page. Uh, What's the vision you have for that child to pursue Jesus? What's the vision you have for that child in their sexuality and and purity? Like, what's the vision you have for them? And then just stay a united front and continue that. Good answer. Uh, What advice would you give young single people on how to meet good Christian men. We've talked about this. We, we got this question a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know this is gonna sound like a simple answer because I think that sometimes on questions like these, we're just looking for like some supernatural answer that says, you go to this place and at this time and you look for a guy in an orange hat. And that's what we were looking for. Hat. I know, there's an orange hat. <laughs> but you know, just because... Um, just because we're, it's, a, it's not an easy answer doesn't mean it's not a simple answer. Yeah. And so my answer to this question would be, you serve Jesus, you love Jesus, you get involved in your church, you do community with people around you in your church, maybe you go on a missions trip, you pursue Jesus in your own faith and you just, like we've talked about before, you yeah. look up yep. and you see who's around you doing the same thing. Yep, God's given you a purpose and a lane to run in. So you run in your lane. Every so often, maybe look up and see who's running with you and then put your head back down and keep running another month. Look up. Are they still there? Still there. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe God is, you know, bringing someone into your life. Put your head back down and you keep running. You just focus on becoming the person that you're looking for, is looking for, and as always, if you go to the right places, you will meet the right People, all right, which yes. brings us to the next question people asked, what's the philosophy on dating sites, on online dating sites, and how do you go about it biblically? Well, biblically, there's not really a great answer for that, and the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about online sites, so here we're going to draw some principles. Um, <laughs> I can't speak to them very well, because I've actually never been on one, but I know several people who have, and I know great relationships that have been birthed out of online Dating, and it's really one of those things that we're going to have to navigate more and more uh, into the future. So here's my personal take on it. I think it's really hard to give an accurate picture of yourself to someone online because all you're doing is posting your best pictures. All you're doing is posting your highlight reels, the good stuff, right? All the behind the scenes, you're not letting anybody see. And so I would just say um, be honest about who you are. Uh, don't, you know, if you're setting up your eHarmony or ChristianMingle.com or FarmersOnly.com account, whatever, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Farmers got to get some too, whatever. Coffee. 
then make sure the profile picture you're putting up is not one you took 10 years ago and 20 pounds ago, all right? Yeah, yeah. Like, let's be honest. And then I would also say, maybe especially if there's not a lot of, you know, face-to-face contact, take it slow. Just take it slow, all right? Take it slow. Great advice. Okay, I'm not currently married, and I want to know that Mm. if you have had a two-become-one relationship before marriage, is it okay to be selfish and want a his and her lifestyle because you've lost yourself and you've lost your faith. So when they say to become one, they're yeah. meaning they've, they've crossed that line and they've had sex. Before right? they were married, yeah. correct, yeah. So honestly, I think inside of this question, maybe you're just asking the wrong question. Right. Because they're asking if it's okay to be selfish and have a his and her relationship. But really, I would wanna dive into why it is that you've lost your faith and why it is that you've chosen not to honor God by waiting until you were married to have sex. Yeah, we talked about the infatuation stage can last between you know, 12 and 18 months, really. And if all you're doing is getting hot and heavy, fogging up the windshield, you can't see to move forward. Yeah. And so are you a follower of Jesus? First and foremost, does this relationship honor God? I think you really need to start there. You might be asking the wrong question. Cool, uh, number five, what's the best way to convince someone to come to church with you. You've probably all tried this before. You know, will you come to church with me? Will you come to church with me? Somebody's asking, what's the best way to do that? And I would just say, um, tell them how, tell them what it's done for you. Like, are you convinced that it's awesome? Are you convinced that it does something for your life? Are you, are you a changed person? You know, does your life look different? You know, if the good news is really the good news for you, how do you tell someone about that? How do you tell someone about the most really important thing in your life? I don't know. What would you say? I would say go to lunch with them afterwards. Promise yeah. something on maybe on either side of church. If you come Saturday night, go out to dinner with them. Just do something practical like that to make it yeah. easy for them to come with you because that's our main goal, right? It's to get people through the doors. That's right. And then Jesus takes, in the Holy Spirit, they takes care of the rest. Yeah, we say we don't care why you come. You know, maybe you came for the coffee. Maybe you came for... You know, you're a single guy. You saw some, you know, girl. You're like, oh, I got to go to that church. That's awesome. Uh, we don't care. Yeah. We just know that if you come, you're going to keep coming back, and eventually God's going to get a hold of your heart. So yes. that's, that's really the goal, just keep coming. And if they still don't want to come, then I would just say annoy the heck out of them until they come, all right? <laughs> until they come check it out. Cool. All right. How do you put your family as a priority and not your work? Yeah. Uh, for me... Um, and this is not the practical side of it, more kind of the spiritual side of it. Um, I believe that God's going to build his church. So that I'm just talking about from a pastoral kind of viewpoint and that I don't have to worry about that. God's word says, I'm going to build the church. My goal, my job is at the end of my life to be defined by was I a good husband and was I a good father? Not, you know, did we have a great church? And that's awesome. That's great. But that's really not the goal at the end of my life. But practically speaking, yeah, well, you talked Family's about this priority. before, you know, show me your calendar, show me your bank accounts, yeah. and I'll show you your priorities. So right. a practical way is just schedule it. Put yeah. it on the calendar. Yeah, where are you spending your time, where are you spending your money? Yeah, it's yeah. Good. What's the best way to resolve an issue when you bring it up to your wife and it's either dismissed or turned around to being your fault? Hmm. So... Um, <laughs> A couple of things I would say to start with, when are you bringing it up? And when are the, what are the circumstances around you bringing it up? Um, maybe you can speak to. <laughs> okay, I will. Ladies in the room. Now, guys, right when I'm this next couple of minutes, just keep your elbows in tight. No elbowing the lady next to you. Ladies, we all know, right, what happens to us every month or so when we start to get a little bit meaner. Um, And you know what, our husbands, they're just never, they're never gonna be able to understand what goes on in our bodies. And we've got to learn as women, we really, we gotta learn to identify what's going on and ourselves because we've gotta know, you know, am I blowing up at him because it's been about 28 days since the last time I blew up at him? Or... Is there, really an, like, is there really an issue? Is there really a problem going on here? And the guys, just, just again, 
understand that we know, we know what's going on with us, but here's a piece of advice for the rest of your entire life. You do not ever need to say the phrase, time of the month, okay? Because if you say that to us in that moment, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna deny it, first of all, every single time, Uh uh-uh. Second of all, we are gonna get meaner, and third, you are gonna cause us to sin by saying bad words Mm -hmm. to you. So, women in the room, let's just learn to identify in ourselves what's going on. And then, man, we just ask Jesus to help us because he's the only one that can. Amen? Amen. Okay. Am I going to say anything else about that? No, you're Um, not. Actually, (laughs) I will say this. Some some great things I learned from sitting down with those therapists were uh, things like they, they coined a term, date to communicate. Set a date to communicate. And so set some time aside to talk about things and just talk about that one thing. Like, don't throw a laundry list of all the other stuff that you want to get off your chest into that moment. No, one thing. Maybe let them know ahead of time what we're going to talk about. Uh, They also said do it in public so, you know, it doesn't come to blows. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and use, you know, I statements. This is the way I feel. Um, I would also say never use absolutes. Don't say things like, well, you never or you always, like, avoid those at all costs. Great great advice. Yes. All right, I'm not sure what to do. My husband doesn't pursue me to have sex on a regular basis and has turned me down a couple of times. And so I'm hesitant to initiate. Yeah, there's probably a lot of layers to this, maybe not enough information. Um, Self-confidence could be one of the things that that he has lacking. It could be an addiction to porn. Maybe it's depression uh, that's keeping him at a distance. It could be something physical really, or emotional as, as well. Again, this is probably one of those things. Maybe you need to set a time aside, set that date, really to communicate to one another and say, here's, here's how I feel. I feel, you know, rejected or, or what's going on. Just have an open dialogue about it. Yeah, good. From a female perspective, um, we hear, right, ladies, that guys, like, want to have sex or think about sex every, like, 7.2 seconds of the day. Right. And we, we're really raised... Um, hearing that a lot and thinking that a lot. The guys are always ready to go. And so I know that sometimes that's, that's clouded. Or if you take Cialis, you're ready to go when you're ready to go. <laughs> what the heck? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so... It's be part of it. <laughs> So what I was saying was, that's clouded my perspective, if I'm going to be honest, sometime. Um, Because guys are human, and sometimes you do have a really long day, and you're exhausted from work, or I guess sometimes you really can have a headache. All the things that the women say sometimes, too, men are human. Um, But because I think we have in our minds that they're always ready for sex, when we initiate um, and it doesn't happen... Hmm. It can be damaging, right, when we're, when we're shut down. So anyways, it took me a while to kind of figure out how to navigate that in our marriage. And so my one piece of advice, <laughs> what? Is that what I meant, baby? Oh, I got <laughs> But it, it took me a while to come up with a great solution on my own. And what that is, ladies, <laughs> okay. if you are afraid to initiate because you may have been rejected in the past with your husband, This is my advice to you. Simply just go to bed completely naked. Boom. There you go. Because then there's no question, right? And unless he is like completely knocked out from the flu or something, when he reaches over to tell you goodnight, then your problem is solved. So there you go. Deal. Deal. Moving on. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm just not going to address it anymore. (laughs) After a relationship ends, how do you know you're emotionally ready to start dating again? How soon is too soon? Um, this is a, a question that I can't really answer. Like, I was in a relationship when I met Kristen, and I'm like, I found something better. Peace out. So I don't know. That's probably, that's probably way too soon. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a question that goes along with it, too, that just says, how can you learn to trust people yeah. again, too? when you were hurt badly in a previous relationship. Yeah, I think, uh, I would say if your sole goal is just to be in a relationship, like, you can't start there. Then it it is way too soon. You need to focus on 
Um, if, if you're looking to a person to fill that void in your life, you can't start there. Uh, you have to focus on God filling that. And then I would say as far as trust and rebuilding that trust, listen, something that took years to maybe dissolve and break down is not gonna get rebuilt in a day, all right? It's gonna take a long time to rebuild that trust as well. I would say seek a counselor, uh, go through these, these cycles of loss, cycles of grief um, that I talked to these guys about. And that's different for, for really for everyone. Uh, minimum, uh, I was told like six months. Minimum of six months, I would say for some people, maybe even a lot longer than, than that. But you need to take some time and, and really kind of heal uh, from that. Yeah, all right, next. What are your thoughts on two people in a relationship hmm. strong in their faith, but they are of two different faiths? Yeah, and they said here, two different paths that lead to the same end. Uh, I think your, 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 your starting point is from a bias where you believe that two different faiths actually end up at the same point. Uh, fundamentally, I believe that, that that's not accurate. And so I, I really can't even talk to this, except I, I would say this. Uh, immediately after Easter, we're doing a series covering some of these big questions of life, like do different faiths lead to the same end? They do not. And I'll cover that, so I'd encourage you to be here for that. Here's the next question. Uh, buckle up. Why are Christians afraid to talk about the M word? Masturbation. They said in here, yeah, what's up? They said, <laughs> I feel you. I quote that it's God, this is what they're saying, is God's gift to our flesh. And what do you think Adam was doing in the garden the whole time before Eve? <laughs> um, I would say it's not God's gift to our flesh. Uh, God's gift to, to man really came in the form of sexual purity within the context of marriage. Uh, that's why God himself officiated the very first wedding where he brought Adam and Eve together. Jesus himself affirms that union between one man and one woman in Matthew uh, 19. You can go look that up. Honestly, to me, it sounds a little bit like um, trying to justify an addiction to pleasuring oneself. And so what does the Bible have to say? About this, well, Genesis 3.3 says it all. You must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> Actually, I took that way out of context, all right? It doesn't, it doesn't say that about that thing. Listen, if we're going to talk about this, like, we need to lighten up a little bit. That's funny. That's funny. I don't care. Um, the Bible doesn't speak directly to masturbation. Uh, so let's look at some principles to apply. Again, because here's what people will say. And I think we make this more complicated than it needs to be. They'll rationalize it. People will say, uh, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. That's what we heard. Doesn't hurt anybody. What's the big deal? Or people will say, well, I'm single and it's keeping me from crossing another line. It's keeping me from, you know, doing other things. Or somebody said, I'm married and my spouse isn't meeting my needs. This is, this is how I justify it. This is how I get by. Well, here's the principle, all right, that I would apply if you want to write this down. Ephesians 5, 3 says, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, all right, or any kind of impurity. From my perspective, it's really hard to do this while not even having a hint of sexual immorality, like, it's really hard to do this without lustful thoughts. It's really hard to do that without, you know, pornography, maybe picturing things. And I, I'll, people will push back, well, I'm thinking about my husband, I'm thinking about my wife. Listen, I, I just think it's really hard to not even have a hint uh, of sexual immorality in that. So let me give you three bigger picture thoughts. One is the battle for purity. Um, men and women, because I know this is not just men, um, it starts with the eyes, it starts with the eyes. It starts with your mind. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman. Paul tells us that we need to take captive those thoughts that we have and make them obedient to Christ. So just get out ahead of it. Like the Bible tells us that we need to flee from all sexual immorality. So as soon as, you know, those thoughts come up, all right, you flee, you run, you make that covenant with your eyes. The second thing I would say is if something causes you to sin, like remove it, get rid of it. Jesus said under the heading in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we added these headings, but in the Bible, uh, in the NLT, it says teaching on adultery. 
And here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. All right, we hear that. But Jesus always raised the bar. And he said, I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart. So he says, well, this is what happens. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck that sucker out. Like, get rid of it, right? Uh, it's better for you to do that than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, your best hand, I think the Bible says, like, cut it off. It's better for you to do that. And so if this applies to you and you're struggling with this, uh, really, next week at, at Elevate Church, there should be a lot of cyclopses with one hand <laughs> coming through these doors. That's not what he's saying. Don't take it literal. But here's, here's this, the importance of it. If going to the gym causes you to lust, you probably need to stop. Yeah. If getting online, on Instagram, on Facebook, and you start following through chains of things, it, it causes you to go places you shouldn't, you probably need to stop. Like, cut it out, get rid of it. And the last thing uh, that I would say about this is purity is not an impossibility. A lot of times we enter into this whole thing uh, because of culture. We're bombarded with you know, images everywhere, all this stuff. But we're to take those thoughts captive, renew our heart and mind daily, and know that, man, if you fail and you mess up, like don't just throw in the towel. Don't just surrender, all right? Continue to, to battle this. Continue to fight for, for purity. Stay as far away as you can from sexual immorality. You got anything else you want to add to that? I'm good. You're good. Hey, we covered it <laughs> in church. What's up? Good job. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. I'm married. Because of health reasons, my spouse can no longer have sex and shows no interest in it. My libido is still strong and driving me crazy. How can I get my needs satisfied? And, you know, we got another similar question that just mm. said, what do you do when your sex drives don't match? And so I'm just going to start this one by reading yeah. a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 7, um, verse 3, it says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Right. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual, sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Right. Right. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We can't have sex right now, honey. I need to pray. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite saying like that, but it's just saying, hey, I don't know if in what world those, those sex drives will actually match up all the time, right. all right? So you need to communicate about this. You need to talk through through that. An amazing resource uh, is John and Lisa Bevere's The Story of Marriage. Maybe you guys can kind of work through that together. Uh, another someone, you know, kind of all these going together in the same vein, someone also wanted to know, is it okay to pretty much do anything sexually with your spouse? Is, is all fair game? you know, in a husband and wife relationship. And I'll, I just want to talk about this honestly and openly and say I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God limits our creative expression when it comes to husbands and wives. The Bible does say that in Hebrews 13 that the marriage bed is undefiled, which means that we should keep the marriage bed holy and keep it pure. I think there are some things that might obviously be sin, but as far as you would agree together, um, in creative expression, um, positions, and things like that, I'm not seeing any limitations. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> in fact, I'll back that up. I would see, in fact, there's a lot of creative expression uh, in the Bible. Look at Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16 says, when the Shulamite woman was talking to Solomon, she said to him, blow upon my garden. <clears throat> that his fragrance might spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. I think no matter how you slice that one, <laughs> it looks like there's some freedom. Now here's what I would say, make sure you both agree like that, that this is what you want to do. Um, we are told over and over and over in the New Testament that we need to honor one another. Your spouse should never feel pressure, 
She should never feel pushed. He should never feel pushed uh, into doing something you guys haven't agreed upon. So make sure there's honor, there's respect in there. Otherwise, I'll say, knock yourself out. Go for it. Go for it. All right, the next question we got. Um, someone was asking us, did we mm-hmm. wait until our wedding night to have sex together? So personal. <laughs> How dare you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, we did together. We made it to the altar together. Um, but, but apart, I did not. Uh, I had some relationship and I had some baggage. We talk about that, that, that invisible box that we pack with the stuff of our lives, the choices that we make. I'm not just talking from, uh, from theory in that. I'm talking from experience. And so I know that's something that we had to address early on in our dating relationship, you know, some of my past that I carried in that when I wasn't honoring God before. And it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's real. You, you carry it with you. However, together, like, like we made it to the altar that night. In fact, um, funny story about that was on our wedding night after saying I do, we were, like, I was excited. I mean, I was 23 years old. Kristen was 20 years old, robbing the cradle. What's up? You know what I'm talking about? And so, like, I'm ready to go, and we're, I'm just, I've been looking forward to this, like, my whole life. I'm like, yes, can't wait. And so we get up to, like, the honeymoon suite, and Kristen's like, I forgot my bag with all her clothes and all her stuff. I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) That's not a problem. Like, we don't need anything. Like, let's, let's just go. But no, she wanted to get her clothes and get the stuff that she packed for that night. So she called her, her parents to come up to the room. And guess who brings up her bag into our honeymoon suite where stuff's about to go down is her dad. And I gave him a tour. It was a cool room. She did. She's like, look at the room. I'm like, We got things to do, right? <laughs> it was awkward. It was super awkward. It was awkward. <laughs> that it? That's it. We're good? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you have, yeah, I think that's it. So there you go. Yes, yes, ain't no. Yes, yeah. ain't no. Yeah. So the next question, this one's funny. Um, Colby, answer this one for us. When is a good time mm-hmm. to get snipped? They ah. also drew some scissors on the card. We got some jokesters yeah. in here. If you know my story, that's why I say that, is because I had a vasectomy done after our third child. Um, which one was our third? Park. Park. Oh, there's so many of them. <laughs> Never. And then Kristen and I, we, we, we really got convicted, and we prayed and asked God. We're just like, maybe we stopped something that we shouldn't have, have stopped. And so for a period of like three years, uh, four years, we really sought God on that and felt led to get that reversed. And so I, I flew out to Oklahoma. I found a dude that would do it for 1800 bucks out of his garage. Cash, only cash. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, it might not, it wasn't quite that bad. It was a little sketchy. It worked. But it worked, so. So you're asking the wrong guy, because I don't know when it is a good time to get snipped, because now we're going through that. Now, if you've seen the Office episode with Michael, you know, Scott, snip, snap, snip, snap, that's me, because now we're trying to figure out what do I do. Um, but this really leads into a bigger question on what, what Christians believe about birth control. And I'd say that's, that's a pretty controversial uh, subject because some people have said, well, birth control is, is a sin. And I can't say that. I don't think the Bible really speaks to that. They will often quote Genesis 28 where a guy named Onan uh, was um, supposed to, his brother had, had passed on, so, so he was supposed to help his brother's wife bear children, and so when he'd have sex with her, he would spill his seed on the ground, and so God killed him. And people say, yeah, don't do that, because God's going to kill you. And I don't, I don't think that's what it's talking about. It's talking about he was using Tamar in a way for his own pleasure, so it's a little bit different. But I just go back to the beginning where God created Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, hey, your first job together is to be fruitful and multiply. Psalm 127 tells us that children are a blessing from God. They're a heritage from, from the Lord. And we, we just look at each other and think, what if we had stopped? What if we'd stopped with, with, with Jake, with two? Yeah, then there would be no park. No park. Or no gray. No gray. And so I wouldn't say it's necessarily wrong. Here's what I would say. Don't make a decision apart from God. Yeah. Like, pray about this for, your, for yourselves. Seek God and, and allow him to direct your steps Great in answer. that. Good? Yeah. All right, yes. Cool. All right. Cool. This one's funny. Who has more shoes? Who, has more, who would ask that? <laughs> because, of course, Kristen does. I know. 
You guys see his feet up here every single week with a different pair of tennis shoes on, and I have proof. So the guys in the back, can you, you, you can you hear this? Here we go. Check it out. It's so rude. Right back there. Okay. All right, whatever. <laughs> oh, whatever. Proof, proof. He's got That's more proof. shoes. All That's right, proof. let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, 30 years of fidelity. Uh, here's where it gets real. One stupid evening at a conference, uh, do I burden my spouse and confess my idiocy, or do I take this snapshot in time to the grave? Well, we would definitely, we would tell you to confess, um, confess, repent, because we don't believe there could be any type of reconciliation apart from repentance. You carry what you pack. You're going to take that with you. It's going to eat you alive. Um, I would say seek some help. Maybe seek a counselor who can kind of lead you in the steps to that if this is something that's really um, kind of holding you back. Uh, and then I would say after you do, man, you just you give them an all-access pass to your life. We don't know if this was a, a guy or a girl writing this, um, this question, but man, everything's an open book from now on. Your Instagram, your accounts, everything. I mean, I just make that an open, open book. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to each other for healing. Yeah. And so for that healing to happen in your life, uh, I'd say you need to confess. Yes, yeah. Next, I've been married for over 20 years. I still have children at home. I love my husband unconditionally. However, I feel sometimes that we have drifted. We got a lot of questions about the drift, about yeah. how you just kind of keep Keep the Someone asked you how, what were some things that we do or plan together to fight against that drift. Um, there's a book, and it's called The Like Switch. And inside of that book, the author talks about a friendship formula and how there's some different, four different variables that go into whether or not you're going to be uh, friends with someone. And so really quickly, those four variables, the first one is proximity. Do you live near each other? Frequency. How often do you see each other? Have you ever been friends with someone at work? And you probably wouldn't necessarily be friends with them, but because you're at work every day and you see them every day, they're your friend. The next is duration. So when you do see them, how long are you with them? How big is that chunk of time? And last is intensity. And so while that author was really talking about a friendship formula, I think we can use these variables that he talked about to help us fight against this drift that happens. And just so that you guys know, that's not something that you're alone in fighting. I think mm -hmm. that happens across the board. I know sure. it happens, happened with us. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll get to a, a season in our life and we look at each other and we're like, you feel like a roommate more yeah. than a mate. And so that's the point in time that instead of you know, walking away or giving up, that's when you dig in. And that's when you fight even harder against this drift. And so in your life, practically, if you're, you're someone who travels for work, for instance, right off the bat, proximity and frequency with your spouse, those are gone. gone. And so what you got to do is you've got to really fight for the last two, the duration and intensity. And so when you are home and you go out on a date with your spouse, instead of rushing home um, to put the kids to bed so that the sitter doesn't have to, you stay at that restaurant and you eat dinner together. Then you get dessert and you yeah. stay there and you shut talk, shut the place down. Yeah. You up the intensity. You're like looking at each other in the eyes. Um, you got to do what you got to do, right, to fight against the drift that can happen. That's good. That's good. And uh, practically speaking, man, just be intentional. Like schedule it if you have to. You know, those date nights, those weekends away every three or four months, you should do that with just, just your spouse. Maybe once a year, you know, try to take, you know, four or five nights together away, just the two of you. So just be intentional and maximize your time. Um, this question right here, uh, we'll, we'll just cover real quick. And the only reason I want to cover it is because I really want to honor this person uh, and just thank you for the example that you've made. She says this, after 52 years together, 47 years married, my husband has dementia. And so my role has gone from a wife to his mother. I believe that marriage is forever. She says, remember sickness and in health, God's grace is forever. Her question is, how do I keep from killing him? Ha ha, that's what she said. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> and I, seriously, thank you. Thank you for the example yeah. that you're setting. Thank you for the commitment 
that you've made to that covenant of marriage. I don't know who this was, but man, just unbelievable uh, testimony to that commitment. Practically speaking, um, you can go to uh, some support groups. GoEerie.com, I was told, has, has like dementia support groups, Alzheimer's support groups, things that, that you can do. Here's what you don't do is don't do it on your own. You can't make yeah. these judgment calls. You can't handle it when it comes to caregivers and things like that. No one was meant to go through this alone. Certainly, you are not. So find some support. Find good some answer, support. yes. Um, good. So when your wife... Um, I'm sorry, when you upset your wife, what's the best way to make her happy without buying her stuff? <laughs> uh, I would say, honestly, probably she doesn't even want stuff. She probably just wants you to, to listen to her, unless uh, if you've ever heard of the five love languages, which one of them is gifts. <laughs> if that's her love language, then you're screwed. You're gonna have to buy her stuff, all right? But... But there are other ones, and it might be acts of service. It might be loving touch. It might be words of affirmation. I know Kristen's is acts of service. So when I'm, you know, if she's upset with me, I'm going I'm to do some dishes. I'm going to mm-hmm. do some laundry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, you know, kind of thing, because I know that's one of the things that really speaks to her. So I'd say, man, just make sure that, that you're actually approaching her the way that, you know, she feels. Yeah, and I would just add that um, I know that it didn't cost Jack on This Is Us, mm-hmm. any money on last week's episode to have that bowling alley play their song. Did anybody see this? Have that bowling alley play their song and they went out in the middle of the bowling alley and danced together and Colby gives me trouble because... It's a fantasy world. <laughs> but I think we can learn something because extravagant gestures... I want to punch Jack in the face. <laughs> Don't so you guys want to punch him in the face? I'm so sick of that dude. Look. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's a nice guy. He is. Listen, what we can learn and take away from that is extravagant gestures don't often cost money, but they're just some time and thought that you put into doing something nice for your spouse. And there's truth to that. You can have romance on any budget. So just pour into that. Yes. Um, Let's let's do the last question, Kristen. Okay. We got to go. So best marriage advice? Best marriage advice. Yeah? Okay. What would you say? So we'll do two more quick ones. Right. What's your okay. best marriage advice? All right. Uh, my best marriage advice has to do with going to bed again. Um, but this time is... <laughs> Always. <laughs> this time it's go Always to... Always exhausted. Stop. Stop. <laughs> this time it's go to bed angry. And you might... Mm. Disagree with me up front, but listen to, listen to this. Okay, so with early on in our marriage, we would get in these, these well, not early on. It, it took a while for me to figure this out, really. That's true. If we got into an argument at night, it kept going on and on, and it would get later, and it would get later, and we'd start mm-hmm. talking about things that we didn't even know we were like talking about in the beginning, and we were like, what are we even fighting about? And some of you have been there. You it's assume a, that fighting position in bed? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's back to back, as far the sides of the bed as you can get. Yes. Touch me. Yes, it, it, it did not, it didn't go well for us and mm-hmm. until we started going to bed angry. And I know you're thinking, what about that verse? There's a verse in the Bible, Kristen. What is it? Okay, it's Ephesians 4, 26, and this is what it says. And don't sin by let, letting anger control you. Don't, go, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so while Paul is saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger, He's not speaking literally because if he was, then an Eskimo could stay angry all summer. (laughs) Right? All the time. Because the sun doesn't go down. So the focus isn't on like a literal sunset. There's not a magical time of day where you've got to let all aggravations be ignored. But rather the point is to not let time go by without you dealing with your anger. So, you know, while we go to bed angry, and to be honest, sometimes even if I have to, like, go to another bedroom to sleep because if his, like, toe touches me in bed, I get all angry again. Whatever you need to do. The truth is, once we started doing this, when I woke up in the morning after I spend time with Jesus, then I go to him, that big, ugly, huge, hairy problem that we had the night before, it's not so big, and it's not so ugly, and it's not so hairy, yeah. but you have to be careful because you don't ever want to let time go by without dealing that and stuffing that down. Yeah. You have to deal with it, do it the next morning. Yeah, and I think the whole goal is to resolve it quickly. Like, don't wait. 
don't let it drag on, you know, that kind of thing. The end of that verse actually says, so that Satan, so that the enemy does not gain a foothold. And so we've already established this in our marriage that he doesn't get a foothold. So, so even if we're fighting, even if we are angry about something, man, that doesn't shake my confidence you know, in my wife that she's gonna leave me or whatever. So the, he doesn't have a foothold in that anyway. You just need to be aware of the times that, that you, know, you are spending late into the hours of the night where things don't get resolved. In fact, you can just make things worse yeah. sometimes. What about you? What's your best marriage advice? Um, I would just say, learn to say sorry a lot, guys, a mm-hmm. lot. And girls. Say sorry. Say, yeah, girls too. Man, good, sorry. good advice. You're welcome. <laughs> good advice. Um, and really just give life to the things that you're thinking. I don't yeah. think we do this very well. As guys, I know I don't, and I'm trying to do this more. But if you think something positive, like, honey, your eyes are beautiful. Thank you. That was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> like, then say it. Say it. Like, if you think she's beautiful, say it. If, you know, you think something good, say it. We don't often give life to these words. And I just think it's, it's important for us to do, to do that. Here's, here's the last question um, that somebody asked, and we'll, we'll end with this. Um, they said, can a marriage be saved if love is gone? Um, if the feeling of love is gone, uh, if they don't love each other anymore. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to couples. They'll come in, and it's already over. You know, they'll, usually people, you know, will come see me or call me when, when things are kind of already dissolved. And they're just kind of looking for, all right, what's our next step in this? Um, And so I want to address what's been a popular kind of idea in our culture, and that is that our feelings are truth. It sounds right. Our feelings are truth. Well, if this is the way I feel about things, and this is this is what I should do. In fact, sometimes we feel bad. We feel like we're not even being true to ourselves. Like if we don't follow our feelings, if you don't follow your, your desires, your, your sensations, the way you feel is the way you were made. And so that's your truth is how you feel. And at face value, that kind of sounds right. But if you take a step back and really think about that, um, think about that idea, the entire construct of, of continents, of of, of people groups, of governments have been based on like not doing things in the moment because this is the way you feel. This is why we have police forces, right? So you don't do what you wanna do all the time. And so we, we take this to an unhealthy kind of place and we say, well, this is the way I feel. I don't feel love anymore. I don't feel like we're in this together anymore. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And a lot of times we attribute this to our heart. We say, hey, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Do you know, no one can agree on like what the heart is. Like we're we're giving people some advice to follow something. They have no idea what they're even following. People will say, well, it's your soul. It's your your deepest, most inner parts of yourself. Like like I don't even know where my heart is, but that's what you should follow. It It makes no sense. God's word always trumps the way that we feel. So I would say, question those feelings. Like, don't listen uh, to that idea of following your heart. Question your, your desires. I've never met a couple who, who came into my office to see me and said, hey, like, ever since we started doing what we wanted to do and living for ourselves, Ever since I started following every desire that I ever had, every sensation that I ever had, just kind of living for me, our marriage has been nothing but up and to the right. It's just been perfect. I've never met that couple. In fact, it's always been the opposite. So if I could boil this down, a lot of the issues that we have is because just one word, we're selfish. We're selfish. And we tend to follow our feelings and we say this is the way I feel and that's truth. And it breaks my heart. People say, I fell out of love. I fell out of love. Well, hey, maybe it's time to fall back into love and allow not your feelings to dictate what is your truth because the heart is deceitful above all. And so if I can encourage you guys, hey, just there, let's just listen to what what God says. Follow God, not your heart. Give one another grace in your relationship. And I promise you, uh, God will continue blessing. Oh, we're going to close our time. In fact, Kristen, why don't you just pray us out? In fact, would you guys stand to your feet? And we'll just end this series. Thank you so much for your questions.
Thank you so much for your honesty. We appreciate it. Let's, let's wrap it up today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for this series and all that we have learned in the last couple of weeks about relationships. God, we want to have healthy relationships because we know that healthy things grow. Yeah. And we want to continue to keep growing. And right now I pray for all the relationships in this room, the, the husbands and the wives and the boyfriends and girlfriends, the, the people who are engaged, God, the parents and the children. I lift up all of these relationships to you this morning. God, you know intimately what's going on in each one of them. And so I pray for your grace and I pray for your power and your love to just invade those people's homes, their relationships, God. I pray that they continue to follow you, God, and they have their feet firmly planted on that foundation that only comes from you. It's in your name I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.